Good morning, everyone. My name's Nathan, if I haven't met you. I'm the lead pastor at LifeGate. Haven't been on the platform for, for a few weeks. It's uh, great to be here, and I'm really pleased about having the opportunity to, to share another message with you from Psalm 84. If you've got your Bible, Psalm 84 this morning. Well, friends, we're coming to the end of the year. Today is the 12th of November, and this is the 316th day of the year, which means we have 43 more sleeps till Christmas. 43 more sleeps till Christmas, everyone. How's your shopping going? Have you even thought about that yet? I wonder. Friends, as we come to the end of this year, I want us to go back to where we were at the start of the year. And God spoke to us around this theme of one, and he gave us this scripture from John chapter 17. And over the next few weeks, I want to go back to where we started and unpack some of the key, the, the uh, three key themes from these, from, from these verses. This is the night before Jesus is, well, this is the night Jesus is arrested. He firstly prays for his disciples and then he prays for us. It says, My prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message. That's us, who have believed in Jesus through the message of the disciples, as, as the message of Jesus has been passed down from generation to generation. Jesus' prayer in verse 21 that all of them may be one. That all of them may be one. How? Father, just as you are in me and I am in you. May they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. In, this, in these verses, we see three, three main points. The first one is that Jesus desires us as believers to be one. What does that look like? It looks like the relationship between the Father and the Son that Jesus talks about there. That we, that we as believers have a, an unconditional and deep love for one another. That we're heading in the same direction, we're on the same purpose. That's the first thing. The second thing Jesus talks about here is that we are one with God, that we're intimate with God, that we're close with God, that we have a personal, intimate relationship with God. And the third thing Jesus says here is that, that when we're one, when we love each other, when we're unified, when we're one with God, the world will notice that, 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 that we follow Jesus, that Jesus exists, that, that our Jesus has purpose for their lives, that he wants to save them. And over the next few weeks heading up to Christmas, I'm going to share messages around those three things. I was sitting with Pastor Ken this week. He's currently um, on, a, on, a, on a cruise, on a weekend cruise. We, he's calling it the uh, love boat, just him and Fiona heading out the harbour and round and come back in. He's back Monday morning. So please pray for Ken. I'm sure he's having a really difficult time um, <laughs> over the next few today and, you know. And so I was speaking to Ken this week and I said, Ken, I uh, want to go back to John 17 and I want to talk about these things, these three things, being one as a, a group of believers, being one with God around intimacy with God, and then as we're one, the world will know that, that our Jesus has come to save them. I said to Ken, Ken, where should, where should I start? And he said to me, Nathan, start with one with God, start with intimacy with God, because if people get that right, it affects every area of their lives. And it's true then when our personal relationship with God is thriving, it affects every part of our lives in a really, really, really positive way. So this morning, that's what we're going to look at. We're going to look at what does it mean for us to have a personal relationship with Jesus? What does it mean for you to have a personal relationship with Jesus? Last year, the um, Australian government put out the census, which was a bit controversial, if you think back to then. And when the census results came back, it says that 61% of Aussies 
tick the box that said Christian or tick some sort of Christian denomination box. And as I read that number, I go, well, that's really positive. But then as I think about it more, I go, well, how many people out of that 61% are actually, are actually Christians? Because people think that they're Christians for lots of different reasons. People think they're a Christian because their parents went to church or they were christened as a baby. People think they're a, they're a Christian because they were married in a church. Or some people believe they're a Christian simply because they go to church and they actually go to church regularly, but that doesn't actually make you a Christian. A Christian, friends, is someone who believes that Jesus is the Son of God, that he died on the cross and rose again to forgive us for our sins and give us new life. A Christian is, who is someone who has said sorry to God for their wrongdoing and asked God to forgive them. And a Christian is someone who chooses to follow Jesus all the days of their lives. It's not about what church you go to or even if you go to church. It doesn't matter where your parents went to church or how you grew up. This is what a Christian is. Someone who puts their trust in Jesus, who repents of their wrongdoing and chooses to follow him. And when we do that, friends, we start a personal relationship with Jesus. It's a relationship with God that's supposed to be intimate, that's supposed to be close and tight where you walk with God every day. This, this personal relationship with Jesus, it's so wonderful that you can actually talk to God directly. You don't need some priest or pastor or to, to talk to God on your behalf. You don't have to pray to some saint in order for that saint who is in heaven, who's because they're in heaven, they're obviously close to God, to talk to God on your behalf. It doesn't work that way, friends. As Christians who have a personal relationship with Jesus, we can talk to him directly. And, and not only that, God speaks to us directly. We don't need some pastor or some prophet or some religious person to tell us what God is saying. Now, that helps sometimes, and you're doing it right now, so praise God for that. But God speaks directly to us. And the main way God speaks is through his word. The Bible, which is God's words breathed out to us, that speak about what God desires for us, that he tells us how he sees us, how he wants us to respond to him. But God also speaks to us through dreams, through other people, through words that he drops into our spirit. God is a personal God. We can speak with him. And God speaks to us directly. He is a personal God. But friends, just like in any relationship, you can have a tight relationship with someone or you can be at some distance. Think about your spouse if you, if you happen to be married. Think about your spouse at the moment. What sort of relationship do you have with your spouse? Is it a tight one or is it a distant one? Michelle and I go through journeys of close and then distant. And who pulls away? Me, usually. And it's because I'm out too many nights at church things or get too focused with church stuff. And Michelle sometimes whispers in my, in my ear, Nathan, you've, you've gone away again. And sometimes I hear that, other times I don't. And sometimes there is a need for a greater volume of that voice. And sometimes a megaphone, Nathan, you're not listening. We're apart. We've got to get back together. And hopefully that shakes me up and wakes me up. And that's happened just last week. And... Um, <laughs> And, 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 and what happens then is that I change the way I do relationship with Michelle. I deliberately make time to be with her. 
I deliberately share, man here, get ready for this, man? Charles, get ready for this. Share your feelings with your wife. Yeah? Amen, anyone? Yeah? Share your dreams, share your goals. And man, listen to your wife, how you're feeling, where you're going. And that, and that relationship that gets distant can, goes back tight again for a season. <laughs> and then I start to, and then I... And friends, it's the same with our relationship with God. If you're a Christian here this morning, you have a personal relationship with God. But is it a relationship that's really tight? Or is it some that, or is it a relationship that's drifted? Is God like your best friend, where you talk to him every day? You talk to him throughout the day. You love him. You love hanging out with him. Being with God is the best part of your day. Is that what your relationship's like? I hope so. Maybe God is someone that you talk to a few times a week. Or maybe you only relate to him on Sunday mornings when, when you attend church. Or maybe he's even more distant to that, more distant than that. Maybe you haven't spoken to God for some time and you feel distant. You feel separate. Or maybe this whole personal relationship with Jesus that I'm speaking about is, 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 is brand new to you. Maybe you've just become a Christian or you're still trying to work out who this Jesus, who this Jesus is and what this is about. And I want to say, if that's where you're at, that's perfectly fine. And we, want, and we as a church want to help you go on the journey of discovering God and Jesus and, and the wonder of being in relationship with him. How would you describe your relationship with God this morning? Is it close? Is it apart a little bit? Are you heaps distant from God or maybe you don't even know God? Are you happy where you are? You've just worked out where your relationship is and please do it. These aren't, like I want you to actually process this. Where's your relationship with God? Are you happy with that? And for most of us, I think we go, you know what? I think I would like to be closer to God than where I am now. So here's another question. What would it look like for you to have a closer relationship with God? Have a think about it. What would that look like for you? Friends, if we're going to have a closer relationship with God, we need to get real about where we're currently at and then take action to change it. Because just like I spoke about Michelle and I in our marriage and I'm the one that drifts, Friends, we're the one that drifts. God doesn't drift. God is there waiting. He wants to speak. He's listening for your prayers. He wants to be close. But it's us who drifts. It's us who moves away. And it's us that can come back. This morning, I want to take you to a part of the Bible, which is in the Psalms, Psalm 84. And as we go to the Psalms, Psalms are a bunch of songs written in the Old Testament. Most of them were written by a guy named King David. This one's not. And they are, and they are songs which, which are people's heart, heart cries to God. I want to take you to Psalm 84 this morning, and it's got this little thing that says, For the director of music, according to Gittith, which is most probably um, a style of song, and it's the author is of the sons of Korah, who is a, Korah was a descendant of Levi, from the group that God chose to be his representatives on the earth. 
and from them, from Aaron, came the priests. And this is his heart cry to God. This psalm's about his desire for a personal relationship with God. This is what he writes. And it's interesting, as Michelle was emceeing today, you didn't know I was going to do this, did you? You sort of brought the, psalm, the words of the psalm out. And I didn't talk to David about what I was preaching about, but he talked about that intimacy with God again. So God's doing this thing today. Verse 1. How lovely is your dwelling place, Lord Almighty. My soul yearns, even faints, for the courts of the Lord. My heart and my flesh cry out for the living God. Even the sparrow, the little bird, has found a home and the swallow a nest for herself where she may have her young a place near your order. Lord Almighty, my King and my God, blessed are those who dwell in your house. They are ever praising you. How blessed it is to praise our God when we gather together, friends. How blessed are we to praise our God. Verse 5. Blessed are those whose strength is in you, whose hearts are set on a journey, on a pilgrimage. As they pass through the valley of Baca, they make it a place of springs. The autumn rains also cover with it with pools. They go from strength to strength till each appears before God in Zion, in Jerusalem. Hear my prayer, Lord God Almighty. Listen to me, Lord God of Jacob. Look on, our, look on our shield, O God, which is their leader. Look on our leader, O God. Look with him. Look with favor on your anointed one. Better is one day in your courts than a thousand elsewhere. I'd rather be a doorkeeper, the lowest of the low, in the temple of God than dwell in the tents of the wicked. For the Lord God is a sun and a shield. The Lord bestows favor and honor. No good thing does he withhold from those who walk is blameless. Lord Almighty, blessed is the one who trusts in you. Friends, the, 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 the author of this psalm is unknown. I, I said to you, it's a son of Korah. He was a descendant of Levi, one of the priests. We are find out about the son of Korah in, um, we don't find out about him. He also wrote Psalm 46, which begins with, As the deer pants for the water, so my soul longs for you, O God. Similar words, I wonder if it's the same guy. It's, it's written most likely when the temple's been built, because in verse 3 it talks about a sparrow putting a nest in the temple. So around 950 BC. And in this psalm, the writer declares his desire and passion for God. Now, when we read the Bible, friends, it's really important that we know what we're reading. Because when we read the Psalms, we're reading um, part of the Old Testament, which is actually under a different covenant to what we're under now. Now, a covenant is simply an agreement between God and man. And when Jesus came, and as you read the New Testament, Jesus set up a new covenant or, or a new agreement between God and man. It's a, it's a new way of doing things. That there's no longer the sacrificial system because Jesus was sacrificed for our sins. We don't need a priest to represent us before God. We go directly to God. That his spirit is no longer on anointed, chosen people. His spirit is on everyone who believes in him. Father, Father, that's not a prayer. Friends, we're under a new covenant. We're under a new way of doing things. But when we read the Psalms, that's under the old covenant, the covenant of Moses with the Ten Commandments, with all the extra stuff. And an example... Of what's different is exactly what we see in this psalm around the temple. 
See, at the time, they had a temple where they worshipped. And before that, some 1,500 years before Jesus, God spoke to Moses. He gave him the law. And he also told them to set up a tent. It's called the tabernacle, a tent of meeting. You had the outside, then you had the inside of the tent, which is a holy place. And then in the second curtain in, the, in that back section was called the most, the most holy or the holy of holies. And inside the holy of holies was this thing called the Ark of the Covenant, which had angels and inside it were the tablets of Moses, as well as Aaron's staff and some manor and some few other things in there, special things. And and, and in between the angels was the seat called the mercy seat where the priest would sprinkle blood as a way of covering over and covering over the, the, uh, the sin of the nation. And there's so much more that I could tell you, but it was there that God dwelt. Now, God's everywhere, but he chose to dwell between the angels' wings right there in the Ark of the Covenant. And wherever the people of Israel went, they'd pack the tent up and they'd take the Ark with them and they'd stop. They would, and the priests would worship. It was at this tent they would offer the sacrifices. It was there that the priests would offer the prayers and represent the people to God. Now, there were some wars. The Ark of the Covenant was taken, and eventually King David brought it back into Jerusalem, dancing in his undies, right? So here we go. David's dancing in his undies. And David says, I want to build a temple for my God. I just don't want a tent. I want a place where we can put the Ark of the Covenant permanently. And he has a building for him. And God said to David, don't you build it. Your son's going to build it, Solomon. So Solomon builds a temple. And they reckon it looks something like this. And again, they would bring the sacrifices and the sheep and the goats and the bulls were sacrificed for sin. The priests would represent God. They would worship God there. It was a place that God dwelt. And that's the context, friends, of this psalm. That the writer isn't at the temple, but he has a longing to be at the temple because that's where God is. So when we read Psalm 84, we have to think to ourselves, it's different today. Well, how's it different today? Well, God is no longer in a temple. God is now dwelling within our hearts as believers. Um, Ephesians chapter 2, here's a verse for you. It talk, and it's talking about a dwelling, which is a picture of the temple, but actually where the temple. It says, and in him, which is Jesus, you two are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. God is no longer in the temple. God is now within us. Not only is he within us, he also comes and meets us. And we just sang this morning from Breathe On Us. Breathe on us. Holy fire fall, because friends, God is in us, and He also comes and bees and bees with us. Bzz, he bees with us. Here's a few scriptures in Matthew chapter 18. It says, "For where two or three are gathered in My name, there am I with them." Is, there is more than two or three here, friends. Jesus is here with us by His Spirit. In Acts chapter 4, in Acts chapter 2, there is the day of Pentecost. And the Spirit comes and, then, and the people go and preach. And Peter and John get locked up in prison. They get let out and, and they go back to the prayer meeting. And at the prayer meeting, this is what happens in Acts 4.38. After they prayed, the place where their meeting was shaken. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. And as a result, they spoke the word of God boldly. As they gathered together, the Spirit of God met them there. In James 4.8, it says, draw near to God. And he will draw near to you. And that's a personal thing. Although you have the Spirit within you, there are, there are scriptures that point to you drawing near to God, pursuing him, entering a place where his Spirit dwells. 
where two or three are gathered and we pray together. And friends, for us as a church, when we gather together on a Sunday morning, God is here by His Spirit. And friends, where God is here, anything is possible. The impossible becomes possible when our God is here. When we gather together on our vision nights, and next year we're going to call them Going Deeper, because our themes grow and we want to grow deeper. So we're going to call them Growing Deeper next year. When we worship and pray together, that is where God is. When you meet in your life groups, God is there if you gather in the name of Jesus. In your prayer meetings, God is there if you gather in the name of Jesus. So when we read this psalm this morning, we need to translate temple to being in the place where God is. When we gather together, when we worship God together. Is that okay? Let's now go to the scripture, and I want to point out four things from this scripture. The first thing is this about the writer. Is that the son of Korah, this writer, the person who writes this psalm, has a desire for God. He writes this, How lovely is your dwelling place. My soul yearns, even faints for the courts of the Lord. My heart and flesh cry out for the living God. When he talks about his soul, he's talking about his will, his emotions, his heart. When he talks about his flesh, he's talking about his body. But he has this desire to meet with God. It is so important for him that his body and his flesh and his heart desires to be in the place where God is. I remember in, in, when I was in year nine at school, um, it wasn't a great year for me. Uh, we we just gone to elective subjects, didn't have many friends in my class, a bit of bullying, and we were going on this family holiday in, in, in September, October school holidays, the same place I've been going for the last 30 years, and, and it's a wonderful place, and I knew it was coming, and school wasn't great, and I, and I longed for that holiday. So in my English class, I'd sit on my own, I didn't take much notice what was going on. Maybe you can tell by the way I speak and write, you can tell I wasn't paying much notice. And... And at the back of the book, I would have written down the uh, days to go, and I'd cross off the day every time I got to English, and I'd recount to make sure it was right. And I did that three or four times during the lesson because I was longing for this. Have you ever longed to meet um, to, for, for a relationship? Maybe someone who's been distant from some time, and you, and you just want to see them, or your child's gone to camp, or they're gone, for some, gone away for some reason, and there's a longing just to see them. Or maybe you've worked in the backyard all day, and you haven't had any drink, but your body is just thirsty for some water. You're just going, I want water, I want water. That yearning, well, that's what this writer talks about, but maybe even at a, at a whole other level, that he longs and desires to be with God. He talks about it so well that in verse 3, he talks about the birds. Even the birds have it awesome. They've built a nest in the temple, most probably on one of the ledges. They put their, they've, they've put their little nest and they've had little birdies. How blessed are these birdies because they get to hang out with God all the time. And then he says, how blessed are those that dwell in your house in verse 4. They're ever praising you. What a privilege it is to praise our God. Here's the question, number one. Do you desire God with all your being? Do you desire to be in the place as, with, with a bunch of Christians on a Sunday where we get to worship? God, we're going to worship. You're going to be there. I, I just want to get, I, I get to that place. The vision nights, which we, 
where, where we just go a bit wild for a bit and we pursue God? Do you have a desire to get there? Do you have a desire to get into your quiet times where it's just you and God and you go, I want to be there, I want to be there? Do you have that desire? And I think for most of us, the answer is, no, we don't. No, we don't. Maybe you do, and if you do, that's awesome. But most of us, no, we don't. The second thing we read here, he says, God is worth the effort. He talks about a bunch of people who are on a pilgrimage. Blessed are those whose strength is in you. Their hearts are set on pilgrimage as they pass through the valley of Baca. Now, Baca is symbolic for the meaning the valley of tears, symbolizing trials and affliction. These people are going on a journey to Zion, verse 7, to Jerusalem to meet with God. And they're going on this journey, and it's not an easy journey. They're going through difficulty. They're going through struggle. But they're going to go through it in order to pursue and meet with their God. Now, as they go and they meet these places of struggle, they actually change the environment. As they have a desire for God, they, they, they make it a place of springs. And as Christians, as we live through life and difficulty, as we carry the Spirit and we live for Jesus, we're salt and light and we change the environments in which we live. But these people pursue God to the place where they can get to the temple and they can pray to God. And they can pray in verse 9, most probably for their king, that their king would have favor. Here's a question, number two. Do you make a big effort to meet with God? In our world where it's busy, in our world where we are competing with priorities, in our world where there's so much stuff and family and kids at sport, and do we make a big effort, even if it's a struggle to meet with him? I'm going to say no to that in order to sit with God and pray and to read my word. I'm going to say no to that so I can gather on a Sunday with the saints. I'm going to say no to that in order so that I can get to vision night and worship and pray for the church and the community with my fellow brothers and sisters. I'm going to get to life group. I'm going to do those things because I want to meet with my God. What's the answer for you this morning? Maybe sometimes. More likely no. Verse 3. Not verse 3, third point. The next thing he says is, God is better than. He says, better is one day in your courts than a thousand elsewhere. I would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than dwell in the saints, sorry, in the tents of the wicked. Another way of saying it is, the, which, which some theologians said, the worst day in God's presence is better than the best day in the tents of the wicked. Not that there's ever a bad day. How cool is that? That's what we used to do at school. We used to throw dusters into the fence. Did anyone else do that? I used to do it as a teacher too. Um, with, with the foam dusters, the kids were mucking up. Hey, guys, look at this. Oh, wow, that's awesome. The teacher did that. Shh, don't tell anyone. God is better then. Do you feel that? That God is better than watching Netflix. Oh. That God is better than spending, having a date with that person that you love most in life. Being with God is better than hanging out with your kids. Being with God is the best. 
Here's a question for you, number three. Do you believe meeting with God is better than anything else in life? Do you believe meeting with God is better than anything else in life? And for some of you, it might be yes, but I reckon for most of us, the answer is no, it's not. It's a bit heavy this morning, I'm sorry. It's a bit of a conviction, a bit of a challenge. I don't want to put you down. I'm trying to challenge you to bring you closer to Jesus. We need it. So here, so here are these three questions. Do you desire God with all your being? Do you make a big effort to meet with God? Do you believe meeting with God is better than anything else in life? They're the three questions that we just asked. And for most of us, I would say, the answer is no. And so why is it no? Why is desiring God with our being is, is, is not what we want? Why is making an effort is other things that it's easier to do other things than pursue God? Why do we say no to these questions? Well, here are some ideas, maybe for you. Maybe and for me. Maybe we're just too self-centered. We're too focused on us and our pleasure and doing whatever we want to do to pursue God. Even as Christians, we put ourselves first rather than Him first. We shouldn't, but we do. Maybe we have too much going on in our lives. We're just too busy to prioritize God. And as a result, we prioritize other things. Maybe we don't value being with God. Maybe we don't maybe we think God hasn't got much to maybe we think God hasn't got much to offer us. What is it for you this morning? Why do you say no? Why do you say no to these questions? Take a moment. Let's get real this morning. Why do you say no to these questions? I want to finish this morning by sharing with you why the writer of the psalm says yes to these questions. I want to share with you why the writer of the psalm desires to be with God. I want to share with you why the writer of the psalm makes a big effort and celebrates others who make a big effort to get to the place where God is. I want to share with you why this, this, this writer believes that meeting with God is better than anything else in life. And it's here in verse 11. Why? For the Lord God is a sun and shield. The Lord bestows favor and honor. No good thing does he withhold from those who walk is blameless. Lord Almighty, blessed is the one who trusts in you. The reason the writer of this psalm says yes to all those questions is because he knows who his God is. He declares firstly that he is a son, which means that God gives light into the darkness, that God gives us warmth, that he gives us guidance, that he helps us grow just like the sun. He declares that God is a shield, that he is the one that protects us, that holds us safe. He declares the Lord bestows favor. Another word for favor is grace. His unconditional kindness upon us. And when we meet with him, God does us by moving and changing, by breaking chains, by changing mindsets, by doing things in our life which are just incredible. That's what happens when we meet with him. The scripture says in Corinthians chapter 3.16, it says, I think it's 1 Corinthians 3 or 2 Corinthians, whatever, where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. Where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. When you get to that place and you encounter God, there is freedom for your life. And the writer of the psalm knew that. He declares, the Lord God bestows honor, friends. When you get with God, he lifts you up. 
He takes you to a new level. He gives you a different outlook. He gives you a different mindset. He helps you to look up. He looks past the problems into the goodness of our God. It says no good thing does he withhold. The scripture says in James, every good and perfect gift is from above. In Ephesians chapter 1, blessed are we with every, every spiritual blessing in Christ Jesus. Friends, God has good things for us. And when we get in his presence, he gives us those gifts. He, he opens doors. He, he moves things. He makes the impossible possible when we meet with our God. That is why the writer says yes. And for many of us, I reckon we've forgotten who our God is. And that's one of the reasons why we don't pursue him. We don't meet with him. We don't desire that presence because we've forgotten who he is and what he can do in our lives. So as we come to the end of this message this morning, have you been challenged? I've been challenged, preaching to myself. If you're here this morning and you're going, God, uh, something needs to change in my life. I need to move closer to you, God. I want my soul and my flesh to cry out to you. Friends, if you're here this morning and you want me to pray for you around a closer relationship with Jesus, that you want to go closer, that you want your flesh to cry out, that you want to believe that better is one day with God in his presence and a thousand elsewhere, if, if that's your desire, I'd love you to stand right now. Before I pray, I want you to pray your own prayer to the Lord. Tell him where you're at. Tell him where you're at, God. Maybe you're far from God. Tell him you're sorry. Say, God, I'm sorry. I want to come back to you now. I choose to believe who you are, God. Or maybe you're doing okay with God and you go, but, but you know there's more. And today you're going, God, I want more. I want more. I'll choose you again. Let's get real this morning. Tell him where you're at. Tell him what you want to change. So, Father, we stand here this morning knowing that you want to be so close with us. You want to be one with us, intimate, personal relationship. And, God, we regularly get it wrong. We do. We, we, we miss it. We get selfish. We get self-centered. We do other priorities. We, and, God, your church has just told you what, what's going on in their world. And, and God, we want to repent. We want to say sorry. And repentance is recognizing our error and then changing. So God, we want to change. We want to pursue you. Father, we ask that right now in this moment where two or three or more are gathered, that you are here by your spirit, that you would touch our hearts, that you would supernaturally touch our minds, God, and that you would give us a change in thinking, that you would give us a change in desire. That like this psalmist, that we would yearn after you, that our heart and our flesh and our soul would cry out for you, our God. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.